Go ahead and get in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, and as uh, usual, uh, I'll start out by answering some of the questions that have been uh, uh, turned in. Uh, question number one, should I push a sport on a child who is developing a lazy attitude? Um, I don't really think sports is the kind of thing you ought to push on anybody, uh, though I do personally believe that participating in, in sports, it, it, I think it gives kids uh, health makes them healthier. I think it helps them build uh, self-confidence. I, I, I think it helps them learn to get along uh, in a team uh, environment. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of good things that come out of it, but I would never personally believe you should push uh, anybody into uh, sports. But I do think it's really healthy. I mean, if your child is, you see them becoming lazy, that you recognize that and, and do something. I mean, for instance, I, I don't think it's healthy to let your kid have what I would call unlimited amounts of screen time uh, per day. I, I don't know what, somebody turned in the question, how, how much is, uh, screen time should I allow my kids? And, and there isn't a magic number. I think you ought to limit it. Um, by screen time, I'm talking about a, a phone or uh, an iPad or a television or computer games, any, any of, of that stuff. I, I think it ought to be limited in, in the life of your child. I mean, I would say if they're doing that a couple of hours a day, uh, that's uh, probably not uh, hurtful uh, in my opinion. I mean, if that's too much for you, then do less. Um, and, and like I said last week, uh, pointed out, be really, really careful with children's cartoons in, in, in our day. Uh, just turn it on and watch how often they change the scene. And they literally change the scene every three seconds, and what it is doing is it's actually building instead your child's lack of being able to concentrate and pay attention. You know, because sometimes you think, well, they're, they're, they're watching this and learning to pay attention. No, they're giving them something that fuels uh, this dopamine rush all the time, and, and, and they learn to not pay attention. And so just be, be very, very careful. Uh, in my opinion, um, your child, from the, the time they're, they're able to do anything, ought, I ha ought to have some chores around the house. Uh, and they ought to have some chores around the house they do for free because they're part of the family. They ought to have some things you give them that are age appropriate to make some money. We'll talk about that a little bit more as time goes on. Um, look for hobbies that interest them. Uh, remember, by and large, when, you're, when your kids are young, uh, whatever you're excited about, you know, they're going to be excited about. And, and so... Uh, I think when you have this mentality, you know, I, I'm going to force my kid to do this and force my kid to do that, you know, I, I think forcing them is always uh, second, that's step two. Uh, always try to sell them and convince them. <laughs> and if you can do that, uh, you're better off. Now, there's going to be some things you're going to have to force them to do. That's just part of life. But, you know, I, I just don't think that's always should be the first thing you do. You're playing soccer, you know. You know, you know, don't do that. Uh, I, I just think there's better ways to handle yourself. Question number two. A homeschooled child keeps giving my public school child a hard time and insulting them for their education. What should I do? Uh, this is one of many teachable moments for your child. You know, the, uh, if you're a wise parent, one of the things you recognize is that um, your child is not teachable all the time. 
they're teachable in moments. And one of the moments when most people are teachable is when something's not going their way. And so instead of griping and whining about everything that happens that doesn't go your way, your kid's way, why don't you look at these as teachable moments? Uh, the first thing, I mean, you ought to be confident enough in what, how you chose to educate your children that it doesn't bother you if other people don't agree. In, in case you hadn't noticed, whatever system people choose to educate their system, everybody else who does it a different way is inferior. I mean, in case you hadn't noticed. You know, everybody who goes to a public school, all the others are, are inferior. If you go to Christian school, all the other ways are inferior. If you're homeschooled, that's just the way people roll, and then they try to just convince everybody else to do what they're doing. Uh, recognize that, and you need to be confident enough that what you chose is the Lord's plan for your child, and you teach your children that, you know, and this is a teachable moment. Um, what I would say is, is that whatever way you choose to educate your children, you need to have your eyes open and understand that every one of those systems has its set of weaknesses that are inherent to that system. And you, as a parent, if you just stick your head in the sand and say, well, I'm sending my kids to a Christian school, I don't need to do anything, or whatever it is, you know, you need to understand whatever the weaknesses are of that system, and you need to, for the sake of your children's future, you need to help them in that particular area. Um, pick the one that's right for your family. Uh, you know, for us, our kids went to a, a conservative Christian school uh, until we changed careers when I stopped being an engineer, and our choice was an economic one. It was if we wanted to keep sending them to a Christian school, uh, she would have had to go back to work. For us, you know, our plan and our, it was more important to us that she be home. Uh, and uh, in our particular case, my wife is a gentle soul. All three of our boys are aggressive boys. And, I mean, they would have tied her up and not learned a thing. Uh, you know, it's just not, wouldn't have been a good, good option uh, for us. We sent uh, them to a public school uh, after that. It was a suburban school. And we were real happy with both systems while we were in them. And, uh, but I sat him down, you know, when we went to, put, listen, you're going amongst the heathen, you know, the, the teachers, the other teachers, but, you know, they don't know everything about everything. You know, a lot of them, they don't even believe in Jesus. And whatever the system is, you've you got to prepare your child. And uh, b because not everybody, there, there's no silver bullet for if you do this and this and this and this, your kid will be everything they're supposed to be. There's no silver bullet. And, and, and so you need to be confident enough that the Lord sent you to do what you're doing and, and you teach your children that in that teachable moment. Uh, question number three, when should we expose our children to unsaved friends and their kids? <laughs> uh, how about nursery? Uh, listen, I, I believe in biblical separation. That is a Bible doctrine. It is taught from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. I, I do not believe in isolationism. And um, it is very, very important that you teach your kids from young childhood uh, that, you know what, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not like everybody else. And it's important that they uh, get exposed to, to things. Now, in our particular case, I always felt like I would much rather have my kids exposed to everything in an environment where, um, you know, what was right was being prominent. Like, I would rather have my kids exposed to stuff I didn't want them to learn at church 
where at least you know the teacher and the leadership were in favor of what what was right and you're going to have to face up to the fact that uh, God is going to cause your children to be exposed to some things at a time when you think they're not ready and what you have to just decide is that you know what by faith even though this is not the time I thought my child should be exposed to this this is a time God chose for them to be exposed to this and you teach them and you deal with it and you trust the Lord um, that's a part of growing up and um, I believe in God's timing uh, is it the same as my timing like almost never but this is a part of faith you know, we trust the Lord. We protect our kids. We try to control their environment. And if somehow, some way, they end up exposed to something at a time when we didn't think it was right, we trust the Lord and we deal with it. Uh, some interesting but not uh, always serious quotes. Uh, here's one. By the time a man realizes his father uh, was right, he usually has a son who, he thinks, who thinks he's wrong. Uh, a couple thoughts about parenting. Here's number one. Recognize that each of your children are different and they need something different from you at times. Uh, favoritism is not something they ever need. <laughs> uh, number two, give your children what they really need instead of all the things you didn't have. I want you to really let that sink in. Uh, I couldn't tell you over the years how many parents I watched try to relive their social life or their athletic career or their economic woes uh, through their children. Don't, please don't do that. G give your children what they need. Uh, number three, teach your children that life isn't fair, and then you do everything you can to be as fair to them as possible. Um, we're on week 11 today. Uh, there's only 12 weeks. Next week will be our... Uh, last week and next week when I turn out that little card, I, I just one of the things I'll just hey, give me some input on the class. This is the sixth time uh, I've done the class. Excuse me a second. <coughs> this is the sixth time I've taught the class. I teach it every other year and then uh, marriage uh, in the year in, in between. I'm always looking to try to do better. This year I cut the class back from uh, 16 weeks to 12. And, um, you know, so that's something that's different. And so I changed some of our subject matter and, and the depth about which I talked about things. Uh, but remember the foundation of this whole class, because God knows what is better for our child more than we do. Uh, when it comes to parenting, the first place we turn is the Bible. And we look for uh, ways that our Heavenly Father handles us. We look for principles that He has established uh, so that we can point our children in a way that pleases uh, their creator. And uh, he knows more than we do. And the last few weeks, uh, we have been talking about character and uh, important character attributes to teach our children and, and how to teach them. And uh, there, there was a day in, in America when, by and large, our culture, uh, even the unsaved, had a, have, had a measure of character. That's not true. Uh, today. By, by and large, there's not a lot of character in the church. And probably one of the things, if you haven't picked up on this, you should, is that as we've talked about these uh, character attributes and, and finished them today and, and, and next Sunday, is we find that, you know what, these are some things that I need to build my character some on too, and, and that's important to recognize and do. Uh, we first talked about uh, how we need to teach our children to identify with a gender. <laughs> 
that uh, God chose for them. And then we talked about teaching them to have a healthy self-image, not self-esteem like our culture defines it, a healthy self-image. Remember, it is not the child with the highest view of themselves that succeeds. It's the child with the most realistic view of their strengths and weaknesses that succeeds. And we talked about uh, teaching them how to receive instruction and admonition to be responsible and hold them responsible. We talked about teaching them to pursue personal excellence, uh, to give their best to whatever it is they're giving themselves to. And and today I want to talk about four more uh, character qualities and, and how we can teach these things. You should be in your Bible in Proverbs chapter 10, uh, verse 4. Proverbs 10.4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. Notice your diligence is directly linked with what you're going to have uh, in life. Uh, and that's number one, teach him to be a good worker. Uh, teach him to be diligent. Look at chapter 12 and verse 24. It says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Slothful shall be under tribute. It'll... Their diligence will have to do with whether they're a leader or a follower. Uh, Chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 5. says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but everyone that is hasty uh, only to want. Look at chapter 22, verse 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Mean means average uh, or insignificant. And so understand that their diligence will have to do with the kind of boss they work for someday. And there's a lot of other Proverbs and a lot of other places in the Scriptures that teach this. But one of the clearest teachings when it comes to character is this issue of diligence and and work ethic. Uh, By the way, it's not just in the Old Testament. Uh, go to Second Thessalonians chapter three, and I. It would be easy just to quote this verse, but th- this whole concept of, of work and diligence—it's—it's it's under assault in our culture, and it's actually a—it's a political tool in, in our day and age. Uh, in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter three, and verse ten. Uh, it says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, that's not going to play very well during political uh, season, uh, but that is a New Testament teaching that our work and our diligence, uh, they're very important uh, issues. I get that there are a lot of politicians who they basically make their living just trying to promise people who are lazy uh, things that they didn't work for. I, I get that. And I just want you to understand as we begin to think about this thought and teaching our children to be diligent and to be good workers that that whole political philosophy is a lie. Um, one of the worst things that any of us can ever do for our children or to our children is decide that we had it too rough as a child and make it easy on them. Uh, it is actually in situations and things in life that are difficult that who we are, it actually appears. Now, some people have called World War II generation the greatest generation. And they call them that because of the way that they, as young adults, 
literally rose up and, and took on world powers uh, in the Pacific and in Europe and stood in incredibly difficult circumstances. Now, whether they're the greatest generation or not, I don't know. Uh, this much I know, they raised what was maybe the worst generation. They raised the generation of the 60s. And one of the reasons that happened is because they looked at all the hardship that they had had and says, you know what, I'm not going to give this to my children. It may be the greatest generation was actually the generation that raised the World War II generation. I don't really know. Uh, this much I do know, hard work has value in itself. That's true whether it's at the end of a shovel or punching keys on a keyboard. I'm actually amazed as I've watched Christian people over the years who literally don't teach their children diligence or work ethic at all. I mean, I'm talking about Christian parents. Their kids have no work list. They have no chores around the house. They, they don't have a job uh, when they can get a job. And, and it's like Christian people somehow think that magically when some child turns 18, they're going to all of a sudden decide, wow, you know what? I want to work and I want to be diligent. That's just not the way it works. A character and this character uh, attribute, uh, like other character attributes, they're learned behavior. There's something that we teach. And by the way, most kids are resistant to. Um, and it's not even just that Christian parents don't teach your kids this. They are resistant and fight against anybody who's trying to get diligence and hard work out of their children. They're angry at coaches who run the kids' card hard. They're angry at teachers who have demanding homework schedules. And, 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 and I'm just telling you, if you just listen to the whining of your children when it comes to this issue of diligence and work ethic, you're going to raise a lazy adult. And that is very harmful for their future. Adversity and difficult situations produce the greatest opportunity for excellence to actually manifest themselves. Which gets to this question, how can I teach my children uh, diligence and work ethic? Uh, I mean, obviously, first set an example yourself. Uh, are you diligent? Uh, are you always complaining about your work? Do you fight against anybody who's trying to get you to work or work harder? Uh, I would recommend that when you discipline your children, never use productive work as discipline. Now, if you want to use work as discipline, have it be unproductive work or have it be somebody else's work, but never have their work be a part of discipline. You don't want to attach this negative image to good work. I mean, that's an important mentality, and it's a mentality most of us uh, don't, don't have. Um, my, on the farm, I mean, my sister, would, I mean, she would make them dig a hole, fill it up. I mean, that, that, that's good punishment. Wasted work. Um, have age-appropriate chores around the house. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like when they're four and five. You know, uh, live with the fact that they don't make their bed as well as you. It's okay. It's more important they learn to make their bed. Uh, age-appropriate chores around the house from, from the time. Uh, there's some that I think that you should not pay them for. Uh, because they're a family member. And there's other things that I think that you should give them an age-appropriate wage to do too. Uh, when they're uh, in school, don't let them uh, come home and play without doing their work. 
Uh, let them come home. Okay, let them relax five or ten minutes or whatever. Uh, make them finish their schoolwork first. Make them finish their chores first, and then let them play. Say, why? You're teaching them an attitude. Uh, this is really, really important. It ought to start from the time they're very, uh, very young. Um, uh, we made our boys start mowing grass at about 10. Uh, we got them a paper route when they were 10. Uh, I'm going to just tell you, when they're working at that age, you might as well, it's like a second job for you as a parent. You know, they're going around the neighborhood and uh, throwing the papers in places they don't belong. And, um, I mean, doing all the things that kids do. They, they don't do it because they're bad. They do it because they're immature. You know, and did you try to collect everywhere? Oh, yeah. I looked at the door. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to follow them around. You're teaching them. Uh, by the t- time our kids got 15, they wanted another job. They were so sick of doing paper routes. Um, uh, pick a wake-up time uh, and enforce it. Uh, in our house, uh, if it was a weekday, 8.30. Uh, Saturday or holiday, 9. All summer long. See, see, one of the things that people inadvertently do to their child is they give their children a shifted uh, body clock. And because parents don't want to get up out of bed themselves, what, what they do is they purposely keep their kids up late so their kids will sleep in. And then they want, and I, don't raise your hand, but I'm sure there's adults here this morning and you struggle to get out of bed in the morning for work. And you know when that started? It started when you were a kid. I, I mean, teach them to get out of bed. Uh, when they get a little bit older, I'm talking like 10, get them an alarm clock. Have them get themselves up. Uh, only tell them once. It's time to get up. Uh, you say, well, what if they don't get up? I throw water on them. Dump them out of the mattress. Uh, if you're not that kind of a person, just say, you know what? You struggling to get up this morning. I guess you must have went to bed too late. You go to bed a half an hour earlier today. And then have the guts to, to follow through on it. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, everybody wants to stay up later. And you know what they'll do? They'll figure out how to get up out of bed when you ask them to get out of bed. It's learned behavior. Uh, teach them by word and example to be punctual. <laughs> Did you hear that? Being punctual is a part of good character. By the way, you will never be punctual if, you're, uh, uh, if your target time is the start time. There's not a person in this room that doesn't know that always things happen to slow you down. Uh, nothing ever happens to speed you up. And if you don't set your uh, target time 15 minutes ahead of time, you are never going to be on time. L- listen, that will help them in the workplace. It will help them for their, for their life. Um, pick reasonable bedtimes. We, when, I, when our kids were younger, we put them in bed at like 8 or 8.30 so that my wife and I got time together each night. When they were older, you know, they got to stay up later, but it was this simple thing. If you don't get up, you don't get to stay up. It's just simple. You say, what happens? Well, they just learn to do it. Um, teach them that people with more don't owe them anything. I, I wish you would let that sink in. 
You know, our culture, by and large, has this idea that if somebody has more than me, then they owe me something. No, they don't. Uh, Your child will never be without work for long if they become this kind of a worker. Everybody here who works in the workplace understands that if you had a worker like this, you'd be glad to have them. Uh, Number two, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're just talking about character attributes to teach our children and how to teach them. And as you've heard me say so many, many times, you get eternal life by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you will live well in this life when you live your life in the manner God taught us to live our life. It is a terrible thing to me as I watch out and look over uh, biblical Christianity and I see people who have faith in Jesus Christ and no character, which basically means you're going to die and go to heaven and live miserably while you're here. I don't think that's what God intends. He, he intends uh, something better for us both now and then. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Paul here says to Timothy, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, did you notice why God gives us what he gives us? To enjoy them. Here's the second thing. Teach your children God intended this life to be enjoyable. Uh, I, I get that our world and culture is, makes fun the goal. That, that's not what I'm implying. What, what I'm trying to, to say is, is that living a life that God described us for to live, it's supposed to be enjoyable. And you're never going to enjoy the Christian life if you're just constantly dwelling on what you can't do (laughs) instead of what you get to do. Um, It's terrible to me that sometimes parents don't adorn following Christ with the most important thing that everybody understands. That's a smile. I mean, a smile is the same in every language. And your children, they watch you do your ministry. They watch you live your Christian life. They watch you live. And they're watching, and they're either deciding, you know what, the way my mom and dad are living following Christ, it's either producing a life that they're enjoying, or, wow, it's making them miserable. Why would I want it? And so you need to teach them that life and the Christian life, it is to be enjoyable. Yes, there's solemn things. Yes, there are dark moments. Yes, there are difficult things. Yes, life is hard in a world that is broken by sin. Yes, that's all true. But I want to tell you, by and large, you know, life and ministry, you know what? It's supposed to bring joy to us. I mean, Jesus is the one who said, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Listen, if Jesus didn't live a joyful life, that wouldn't have meant anything. And yet we know from Isaiah 53, he was also a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we could spend hours talking about the hardships of his life. But you know what he always had somehow on his face, by and large? He just had a smile. He enjoyed, he made, uh, got joy out of doing what he was there to do. How can, you say, Brother Wally, how can I teach my children to be positive and to find more joy in life? Now, I get that this is easier for some people than others. 
There's some people, and and I get it. You're just out of the womb. You're like, whoa, it's me, you know. And and I, I get that, and and you gotta face it and 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 and, and deal with that. Uh, but all of us need to work on this. How can I teach my child to be more positive and find joy in life? Uh, first thing, I would make it a matter of prayer and effort in your own life. You know what? If you're if you live in your Christian life is not producing a joyful life, there's something wrong with the way you're living, or something wrong with the way you're looking at your life. Make it a matter of prayer. Say, Lord, what is it? Why, why, why am I not living with the joy you intend for me to have? Are, are you a positive person? Do your kids, do they watch what you do for the Lord? And, eh, it's church time. Eh, ministry. Listen, that, that's not helping them. Uh, how do I teach them? Uh, when you talk about the things you do, talk about what you get to do, not you have to do. We get to go to church. We have to go to church. They're two different statements. Always talk about what you get to do. Um, how about this? Stop acting and talking like your work is the most miserable part of your life. I, honestly, you sit at the, the dinner table, and I mean, we would sit at the dinner table and go around the table and let everybody uh, take a turn and, and, and talk about what happened during their day and all, all that. You know, you would say, some kids are going to walk away and think, wow, you know what, uh, my mom or my dad, they, they've got the worst job in the world because that's all you ever talk about. Uh, how about this, point out positive people, <laughs> positive things around them. How about this? Uh, work on teaching them to appreciate what they have. Say, so how can I do that? Get them around somebody who's got less. Uh, until your children are exposed with somebody who has less, they're going to think that they don't have enough. Psalm chapter 15. And by the way, and I, and I say this every week, I mean, you, you've got uh, years to work on this stuff. You know, God made human children uh, develop slowly, uh, unlike every other uh, mammal. I mean, man, our kids are helpless for years and years, and they're mostly helpless for several years after that. And then they're still actually helpless, but they think they're not. Uh, and, and, you know, God purposely, you, you've got time. Work on this. You're building their character. Um, th- this to me is an interesting section of, of, of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 15, uh, verse 1 says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle, and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? So basically the psalmist says, Lord, who are you going to reward? Who, who's going to have something special from me? He's going to list some qualities. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness, speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. And here's the one I want to pause on today. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. (laughs) Somebody who gives their word and keeps their word even if it's not easy and hurts them to keep it. Uh, I'm going to call this quality uh, being dependable. And it has several aspects to it. This is one aspect of being dependable. Your word is good. Um, 
I, I think when we think about dependable and, and, and our children, um, how about this? Consistent. Consistent in their mood, consistent in their attitude. I think everybody here knows how much more difficult it is to deal with and live with and work with somebody who is just like this. That, that's not a dependable person. Uh, valuing punctuality. I mean, those are all dependability qualities. God's always on time. God is always consistent. God always keeps his word. And as we think about this and dependability, it's really kind of one of the opposites of selfishness. And so if we're going to teach our children to be dependable, one of the things we're going to have to battle with them is their own selfishness. Let me ask you this. Don't lift your hand. Uh, how many people, don't lift your hand, oh, your marriage would have been way better in the first year if you wouldn't have been so selfish coming into marriage? <laughs> and, and every hand would go up. And, and here's the thing of it is, is we all know that as adults, and, and yet selfishness is not something that we really, really try to squash as much as we should in our children. And we know how as an adult that hurt us in, the, in, in this key relationship. Dependability, keeping our word, depending on ability, treating others well at all times. Dependability, showing up on time. How do I teach them that? Uh, obviously, first, your own example. Uh, how about this? Force them to stick to their word. If they didn't promise something that was sinful, force them to keep their word. Say, so why should I do that? Because it'll cause them over time to understand that, you know what, I need to be careful what I promise. Because when I promise something, I need to keep it. Ever know anybody, an adult, who's not careful at all with what they promise? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I'll do this. And they never do it. It's a terrible quality in an adult. And sometimes we foster it in our children. Uh, force them to keep any commitments they make. They sign up for a, a club or a, a sport or whatever. Make them finish the year. If you start a game of Candyland, finish the game of Candyland. It ought to be just deeply ingrained in your child's mind and heart. If I start something, I finish that. It causes them to be careful, and it should cause us to be careful about what we promise and what we start, because finishing what we start is part of being dependable. Don't let them make excuses that don't really stop them. Constantly praise them when they choose to pay a price to keep their word and finish what they start. You know, use, you know the, the answer to everything, you've heard me say so many times in here, is not just spank them. You, you know, there are lots and lots of things you can do that help positively motivate your children uh, that have nothing to do with physical discipline. Which gets us to our last thing for today, uh, Matthew chapter 6. And I don't know what you think about when you think about character qualities like that. These are the kind of things that I'm constantly working on in my own life. And trying to always do a better job at. You know, keeping what I say I'm going to do. Being where I say I'm going to be. Uh, finishing everything I decide to start. You know, I hope your house is not just one big record of unfinished projects. Stop starting stuff. Finish it. Um... Matthew chapter 6, it will be our last thing for today. 
Uh, it says in verse 24, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon, by the way, that's riches. And if, uh, Just circle that little word in your Bible and write in the margin, you know, riches. Uh, Jesus says you cannot serve God and riches. Here's the fourth thing. Teach them how to manage your money. Uh, two things can never be in the throne of our life. You cannot have Jesus and money in the throne in your life. It, it is just impossible. And if we had time, uh, we, we'd turn to First Timothy chapter 6 and, and see how uh, Paul warned Timothy that a lot of people have erred from their faith because of covetousness. Um, if we had time, we'd turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter nine, where uh, Paul told the Corinthian people that they should give generously because we reap what we sow, and God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, everybody here understands the importance of money. I mean, I know there's people here, and you say money is not important to me. Yes, it is. If you didn't have any, you'd care a lot about it. Uh, money is like oxygen. Everybody needs some. And one of the biggest problems in life is the inability to manage money. By the way, uh, you can make hundreds of millions of dollars and end up broke. Ask Mike Tyson. See, the answer is not, I just need more money, because if you don't manage what you have well, you wouldn't manage more well. And managing our money is learned behavior. Now, it is linked in some degree, if you remember, one of the things we talked about in this class early on is teaching our children self-control. And self-control is an issue when it comes to how we handle our money. But if you're going to teach your children to handle their money, uh, they're going to have to have some self-control, and it's going to begin with your own example to them. Say, Brother Wally, how can I teach my children to manage their money well, to build their character in this area? Uh, obviously, a good example in you. The average American household that has credit card debt, from what I understand, has $13,000 in credit card debt. And from what I understand, one-third of those people pay 20% interest on their credit card debt. And the average American household with credit card debt, uh, from what I understand, pays $210 a month in interest. That's before they get to any principal. If you haven't noticed uh, on your credit card, mean whatever the minimum payment is, it means that you will forever, all your life, be paying on that. And there's people all over this room, and it's caused trouble in your marriage, it's given trouble in your, in your personal life, and this is an important thing to teach our children. You say, Brother Wally, how can I do that? Now, first thing you need to do is you need to give them a means to make some money. You can't manage money or learn to manage money until you get some. And the first thing your kids are going to do when they get their first money is they're going to want to blow it in something dumb. We just let our kids do that a couple times and then just say, well, what do you have to show for all the money you had? Candy wrapper. <laughs> uh, teach them to tithe. The very first time that uh, they get any money, you sit down and you explain it to them. And by the way, don't teach them, don't, don't, don't say something like, you know what, if you don't give God the first tenth, he'll get it from you. 
uh, once you teach them like this, say, listen, you know what? We tithe because the health to work comes from God, the job to work comes from God, and the skills to be able to work comes from God. We acknowledge God. We just by faith say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be better off in 90% than I am with all of it. Why don't you teach them that instead? Well, you're robbing God. Okay, you are. But why, why do you always use the negatives to teach? Why, why, can't, why can't we all use the others also? Um, make sure they don't get some things they want. Don't you buy them everything they want, and don't let their grandparents buy them everything they want. Say, why? There's not an adult here who gets everything they want. And you will be ill-prepared as an adult if your entire childhood was spent getting everything you want. Um, make them save something. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom used to make me save 50%. used to burn my bunions. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't have to tithe, so I at least had 50% to spend. But when I got in college, I was glad that money was there. Make them save something. Uh, open up an, a, 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 an account at the bank with them. Teach them. Um, when they want something big, make them participate in it. I want a bike. Okay, uh, you save up half. These are life principles. It's not like necessarily for most people that 50 or $70, that's half of a bike is going to make or break your family. You could afford the bike, but you don't do that because you're trying to teach them, you know what, you need to have more than an immediate gratification attitude when it comes to spending your money. Um, when they get older, help them make a budget. I don't know how old you guys were when I sat down and talked about an Excel spreadsheet and talked about that. Did they follow it? Well, probably not that well, but it was there. They're learning. Um, how about this? Point out good and bad examples of people handling their money around them. Listen, people that have more generally handled their money better. Not always. There's a few lottery winners, but nearly always. Teach your children that. Talk to them a little bit about how your family money works. Help them. Prepare them for life. And I, I have to stop there, and I actually went uh, a minute over.